pioneers of internet commerce, Jed Katz, has spent his career developing, advising, and investing in early-stage technology ventures. Jed is a founding partner and managing director at Javelin Venture Partners, which holds investments in some of the most successful startups, including Thumbtack, Masterclass, and Clutter. Jed's entrepreneurial journey started as the COO and founder of RentNet, the internet's first rental and relocation guide. Jed later used RentNet as the foundation for Move.com, one of the internet's largest real estate websites, which was ultimately acquired by Homestore for over $900 million. After RentNet, Jed was the COO of YamCon, the developer of the highly acclaimed Sky Scout, which is one of the best-selling astronomy products of all time. After YamCon, Jed was a managing director of DFJ Gotham Ventures in New York before starting Javelin. First and foremost, the entrepreneur has to be totally mission-driven. They have to be solving a pain point that in a company they want to build, uh, you know, be really good at getting other people around them to feel the same mission and want to join. And uh, fundraising, fundraising is one important component of what they're doing. But uh, you know, so is product development and, and recruiting and um, you know, and, and marketing and sales and everything else. And so, you know, I think a great entrepreneur is somebody who can put all those pieces together in a um, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a sophisticated way, and I don't mean sophisticated in that a 40-year-old um, is going to be any better at it than a 20-year-old. In this in-depth conversation with Ivy's co-founder, Barry Merrick, Jed gives invaluable advice on how to attract venture capital, how to know when it's right for your venture, and what qualities he looks for in entrepreneurs. Please enjoy our conversation with Jed Katz. listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the Social University. We are the Grad School for Life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. Jed, so great to have you on the show here today. I'd love to start by learning more about your personal background and how you got into the world of startups. Great. Um, well, I think I am one of those guys that has entrepreneurial DNA. I never intended to work for anybody. Uh, and I, I guess I first got into it um, when I started business school at Berkeley. And um, uh, it was the beginning of the web. And uh, my partner and I at the time uh, started a company that uh, was the first online apartment guide. And, you know, we looked for all kinds of, of ways that the, the web could be used. And um, the thing that popped out to us is that one of the biggest needs is your, your housing decision, where you're often making that decision from far away and you need lots of information. And uh, to be the first to put up photos and floor plans and virtual walkthroughs and all the information, all the filtering you can do when searching for an apartment would be a really useful tool. So we built it, and um, uh, very quickly it took on a, it, a life of its own, and uh, you know my my uh, my life as an entrepreneur really began. Okay, amazing, and you've had a 
number of operational roles, and then you went on to the to focus on the investing investing side of things. So, yeah. tell us a little bit about how that transition happened. So, um, I spent about ten years as an entrepreneur, and we we built RentNet uh, to. Uh, a big business. Um, at the time, it was about 95% market share. We got almost every apartment building that spends money on advertising to spend money with us. We um, we ended up selling that business to Sendent, who owned at the time Caldwell Banker, Century 21, ERA, a bunch of relocation services and mortgage services. And um, uh, our deal with them basically was we will keep building this company. You know, we're West Coast, they were East Coast. Uh, we'll we'll keep building this. Um, and as long as we hit our numbers, let us build it our way, you know, in, in this new culture that was happening, this internet culture. And, um, and, and we did that. And we kept hitting our numbers and uh, it went great. And then later we spun off from Sendent um, with their blessing and some of their cash to create move.com, which was everything RentNet was, but also uh, homes and mortgages and relocation services. And we, we built uh, Move.com to a, a pretty substantial company and um, uh, hired Goldman Sachs and we're starting the roadshow to take it public when uh, the market crashed in March of 2000. Uh, luckily, it was a good business. It made, um, it made a lot of sense. The, the uh, dynamics of it worked well, so we kept building the business. And uh, almost a year later, we ended up merging with Realtor.com, the other big real estate play at the time, for just under a billion dollars. Um, that's when I exited that company and uh, I still had a little more entrepreneurial um, desire in me uh, even though it, we had just you know spent seven years just giving our, our sweat and blood to this thing but I always wanted to build a product so I, I met an engineer who was developing a astronomy related product uh, called the Sky Scout out of his garage and he uh, needed help creating a business out of it so we teamed up um, finished the product uh, ended up uh, licensing it to one of the big telescope makers and getting it in all the stores you can imagine and um, and getting royalties for a long period of time. And that was a great experience um, because if nothing else, I have a product now I can show my grandchildren. <laughs> but um, uh, the way I became an investor is my wife and I moved to New York on a one-year adventure uh, that became a four-year adventure. And... Um, She's in the fashion business. She got some great jobs out here. Uh, I started looking at entrepreneurial activities out here. You know, what were the founders doing? What cool startups could I either join or help with or, or maybe start something myself? And uh, I was introduced by a um, very networked entrepreneur here to uh, the partners at the New York affiliate of DFJ, DFJ Gotham, and uh, spent the summer looking at deals with them and evaluating them, bringing in entrepreneurs, um, and it turned out I, uh, I had a different perspective than they did because I was an operator most of my career. Uh, and it was complimentary, uh, and the, the, the backgrounds and skill sets were complimentary. And uh, they uh, made me an offer to become a partner in the firm. And I, you know, I, I liked it, uh, felt I was good at it, and uh, decided to join. And so you know, spent the next four years looking at, uh, at deals and making investments with them. And then... Um, uh, later had an opportunity to start Javelin with somebody I had gone to business school with all those years before uh, who took his own entrepreneurial path uh, as one of the founders of MyPoints and one of the guys behind Keyhole, which eventually became Google Earth mm -hmm. and, uh, and three years at Google. Um, and, and together we, we had a chance to start Javelin uh, and that was um, right around nine years ago. 
and uh, and then the, the the rest is history. We're 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 now on our fourth fund. Okay, amazing. And having uh, invested in so many companies, having been uh, COO and operationally extremely active in uh, your own startups, um, when you kind of take this bigger picture perspective and think about what it means, like entrepreneurship, building something out of nothing, when there's so many other bigger players out there. Uh, and then when you think about the role of raising capital in the context of that, what's your kind of personal philosophy when you think about this? Like, what is the role of the entrepreneur ultimately? And exactly how should they view capital raising from your perspective? So if I understand the question right, I mean, first and foremost, the entrepreneur has to be totally mission driven. They have to be solving a pain point that in a company they want to build, uh, you know, be really good at getting other people around them to feel the same mission and want to join. And uh, fundraising, fundraising is one important component of what they're doing. But, uh, you know, so is product development and, and recruiting and, um, you know, and, and, and marketing and sales and everything else. And so, you know, I think a great entrepreneur is somebody who can put all those pieces together in a, um, uh, for lack of a better word, a, a sophisticated way. And I don't mean sophisticated in that a 40-year-old um, is going to be any better at it than a 20-year-old. I mean, somebody who, who can get others to uh, believe in the same mission and who can um, uh, accomplish these very hard-to-accomplish tasks like fundraising, uh, like business development deals, like eventually an M&A transaction and uh, can handle uh, complicated things like that, um, but can also uh, be super creative and um, come up with solutions that are not only hard to do and hard to, hard to copy, um, uh, but, but solve a key pain point and, um, and uh, do so in a way that's never been done before. All right, absolutely. And so mission orientation and getting motivating people to believe in you. And uh, there's the people that you hire, or there's your co-founder, there's the people you hire, and then there's people who provide you with capital. Um, so when you kind of think about at the different phase of a life cycle from going from an idea all the way through and building out the team, can you tell us like your perspective on like, you know, how should somebody think about it fundraising at the very beginning when it's at this angel stage? Yeah. And then when, when do you believe is the transition to yeah. thinking about Series A and beyond? Um, okay, so first, there's no one answer for, for every company. But in general, uh, we're strong believers in that there is a cadence to fundraising, right? There is a certain um, way or amount to raise when you're just starting. There's just an idea in your head. And, you know, the, really the people that know you and would invest in you or, um, or uh, absolutely fall in love with even just the concept before you've done anything. Those are your best early investors, right? The best friends and family and angels and, and people that will write small checks just to get you going. Um, this assumes you're not a well-known entrepreneur where everybody just wants to back you again. <clears throat> um, from that point forward, um, you know, you, you got to figure out what the right amount of money to raise is at what stage. And part of that is how long will the capital get you? with cushion so that you can raise that next round having hit some important milestones prior to raising out of money, raising, uh, running out of money, excuse me. Um, and uh, at a valuation where it won't make that future round uh, really hard. Um, and part of that is just the amount of money um, that's appropriate that you need to actually hire the people you should hire and, and, um, and do the initial uh, product building and marketing and sales that you need to do. 
Um, so there's not always, uh, there, there's not one answer for every company. There's a lot of paths. Um, sometimes, uh, you know, what we've been seeing a lot of lately is, is uh, bigger raises early on because there's, maybe because there's just a lot of capital out there in these earlier rounds. Um, and uh, that can work for companies if they hit those milestones and, and they don't spend uh, in a stupid fashion just because there's money in the bank, right? And which is something a lot of entrepreneurs tend to do. If the cash is there, they spend it. Um, but they, again, if you're gonna raise money at that level, you have to grow into that valuation before you raise the next round or else it could be a problem raising that, that Series B. At Javelin, what stage of investments do you focus mostly on? So we are predominantly Series A, or at least what we call Series A. All the labels are changing so quickly now. Uh, so for us, that's a check between two and six million dollars. Uh, we also do some seeds, so occasionally we'll write a half million dollar check, and we do some B. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's that that middle of the road Series A where we're leading the investment. Uh, there might be some others that that join. Um, we're uh, usually taking a board seat. We're usually setting the terms. And um, uh, the round size could be anywhere uh, from, you know, maybe $3 million to $8 million. Okay. And what would you say is like the ideal investment for a Series A round? Uh, in terms of? From your perspective. So yeah. when a company comes to you, what are the key yeah. okay. uh, things that you look for? So we, we have a set of criteria that we look for. Um, and it all... It, it, all starts with the founders themselves, right? Are they are they absolutely driven? Are they capable? Can they recruit? Can they raise money in the future? Uh, do they have a really clever idea? Do they have a good mix of uh, product development and uh, sales and marketing DNA? Um, for the business itself, uh, can do we believe the business can get to a hundred plus million in revenue in a reasonable amount of time? And on top of that, are they building real strategic value? So whoever uh, wants to buy the company down the road, and hopefully there are multiple potential buyers, um, would pay a huge premium for the business because they have to have it and can't imagine their competitors ever getting it. Um, we look for things that are scalable, that are capital efficient. Um, uh, companies where um, recruits are gonna wanna work there. It's a fun problem to work on. Um, there's a whole set of criteria and, and toward the bottom of that set is sector for us. Uh, we found that when we look back at our very best deals over the years, um, we would not have found the best ones had we started with sector. That sometimes entrepreneurs come in with ideas you would have never thought of and uh, are just um, really creative in sectors we weren't following. But it, once we start to really get to know it, uh, it's something we absolutely want to invest in. Uh, sometimes when you start with sector, um, you know, it's all, all the investors are, are huddling around it because it's been talked about for so long. Okay. So if you're um, an entrepreneur and you got your idea going, you have a co-founder, you've built the beginnings of a team, you have revenues coming in and uh, things are going your way and you decide, you know, this is the time now to raise our Series A. Uh, we've made enough progress and we know how we're going to spend the money in the best way possible. And uh, as an entrepreneur, you're convinced that, okay, you know, we want to raise this money from venture capitalists. What would your advice be for somebody like that who's going to get that process started? Yeah. What should they focus on the most? That's a great question. Okay, so um, in no particular order, uh, you need to limit who you're going to approach. 
you need to approach funds where the fund size makes sense for the t for the amount of money you're raising, where the uh, there's partners there that um, have some expertise or some in some way they can be really helpful to the business, uh, where you can find a champion in the group who's going to be banging his fist on the table wanting to do this deal, <coughs> uh, where they haven't invested in competitive companies. You would be amazed how many pitches. Um, uh, or how many people reach out to us where their business is directly competitive to one of our portfolio companies. And of course, we, we try not to even look at the deck at that point and just you know, tell them we can't look at it. But a lot of firms will still look at it. Um, nevertheless, it's a waste of the entrepreneur's time to pitch them. Um, so once you narrow down which group you're going to target, uh, getting introduced the right way is important. And um, I'm a believer that getting introduced through a, another entrepreneur, whether it's in the firm's portfolio group or not, is the best way. Um, getting introduced through seed and angel investors that are involved in your company is a good way. Uh, going in cold through the firm's website is usually not a good way just because there's so much noise and it's hard to get noticed that way. So uh, once you've figured out how to get a good introduction, hopefully to the right partner, uh, you go in and, and pitch. And the point of that first pitch is not to get a term sheet. The point is to get them excited, get them intrigued, get them to want to introduce them to all the other partners there mm -hmm. and to buy into what you're doing here. Um, and you don't want to go in with, a, with you know, five other people. You want to go in with just one, maybe two others and, uh, and, and give a, a relatively concise view uh, of the mission you're going after, the, the pain point you're solving, why it's a big market, why it's scalable, why it's hard to duplicate. Um, why it's, it's, it's going to end up being a really big company down the road and why the market is so big, things like that. Get them excited um, on the major points. And with, with the one ask at the end of the meeting of, uh, you know, is this intriguing to you? Do, can, you do, can I come back and pitch to your whole partnership and, and get this conversation going? Uh, and if you can do that with a number of firms at once and get several of them interested, then your, your, your fundraising path is off to a great start. Okay, and... Um so it's definitely it would be your advice to be very direct about like this exact like after explaining what the company is and everything getting them interested telling them you know okay we're looking to raise now oh yeah um yeah. No, be specific here's the range we're raising right it's a it's a four to six million dollar round mm -hmm. and we're you know we're talking to a lot of potential leads right now here's why we like your firm because you're you have expertise in x y and z um, you know, you understand the, the, the pain point we're solving here. Uh, you guys are former operators, so you're going to be really helpful to the business. Um, you know, get in at some point during the pitch, get in a back and forth with them, just like a brainstorming session almost, and see how you guys are together, bouncing stuff off each other. You know, do you challenge each other? Do you respect each other's opinion? Do you listen to each other's feedback? How would it be working with that person? Because basically you're taking them on as a partner in both sense, senses. So um, uh, evaluate that. It should, it should feel at the end of the meeting like, okay, this is the beginning of a partnership. That's the way you want it to feel. Mm -hmm. You want that, that partner to exit the meeting thinking, I want to work with that guy. You know, if I wasn't an investor, I'd want to join this company. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so after those initial meetings, so you've identified funds that would be good. You've had a bunch of meetings, some interested, some maybe not. Once you've narrowed down those who are interested, what is the best way to think about timeline, for example? How many months? 
should you be allocating yeah. to this? And how do you set deadlines or how well, do you Well, it ranges from uh, somewhere between a day and six months. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, should you be so lucky to get multiple term sheets or multiple interested uh, VCs, then you can drive a timeline and, um, and, you know, have specific dates where people have to get back to you and things like that. Um, it usually doesn't work that way, right? For the super hot companies, it does. For the one that takes a little more explaining or, or is a little, you know, maybe in sectors a lot of firms don't follow, whatever it is, um, the best way to do it is to, um, the, more, the more interested you get the, the investor that's following you the closest, uh, at some point that, that investor is going to want you to focus on the business and not on fundraising. And the more you can have that honest conversation with them of, look, here are all the things I want to get going on. And, and you know, this is going to lead to the, the potential for explosive growth. Uh, every month I'm not doing that, you know, gives others a chance to catch up or copy or, or, or seize the moment here. Mm -hmm. In terms of the materials and data that you want to have on hand uh, before this process begins, what do you think is like absolutely critical to think through before even having the initial conversations? And what do you think is information that's yeah. okay to be like, you know, to, to like really kind of like compute once you're asked. So I, I usually like, um, when they're first reaching out, I usually like a one or two page executive summary and I like a uh, 10 to 15 page deck that uh, uh, explains what the business is and what how they're going about it and who the team is and all that. Um, that's enough for me to spend, uh, you know, 15 minutes on an inside if I want to meet them. Right. If I want to meet them, we'll schedule a meeting. They'll come in. It's usually going to be with me and uh, my associate, probably. And um, uh, we're going to have an hour-long conversation. It's going to be very direct. I'm going to grill them with questions. In some cases, I'm going to just uh, ask them things to see how they think through things or how they, what the dynamic is between us. Um, in other cases, I want to see how much they've thought through the whole chessboard and, uh, and what their motivation is. What are they trying to accomplish here? Um, the, I'm going to ask specific questions that may not appear in their materials and there'll be follow-up, there'll be homework assignments for them basically. And uh, that's their chance to um, quickly show that they have a handle on, on their business. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know the answer to something, it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know, but I'm going to find it or I'm going to look into that or we're not going to have that answer for six months and here's why. Um, so whatever follow-up materials I ask for get to me fairly quickly if possible. And, um, and if that's progressing the right way, we're going to set you up with the whole team. We're going to go through the whole thing again, where there's going to be other requests people have and other diligence calls they want to make and uh, uh, any other reference point that's going to help us um, come to a conclusion on if, if this is a good business to back. Um, and then we're going to do a bunch of our own research. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully... Um, uh, it's not going to be that much longer where we're going to have a thesis at that point of if we want to do this or not. Uh, then comes the, the deal negotiation phase, which should really be super quick. If it's not super quick, then something doesn't feel right. right? The, the deal negotiation should be the very easiest part of this whole thing. Uh, and if you can get through that uh, fairly quickly, it's all pretty standard stuff, um, then you ought to be able to get... Uh, get through the final diligence, close the deal, and get back to running the business quickly. Yeah, what are the key metrics that you've focused in on most frequently, regardless of what the company does? It, it, it kind of depends on the business, right? If it's consumer-facing, it might be your initial um, users, your retention rate, your virality. Um, you know, are people doing what you 
expected them to do on the site? How long are they spending on it? If it's e-commerce, are they buying things? Are they coming back and buying more things? Mm -hmm. um, if it's B2B, well, what's the sales cycle like? What's the onboarding like? Um, what's the land and expand? Is it working? Are you starting with a $20,000 deal and ending up at a $150,000 deal? Uh, we're looking for signal. So it's Series A, it's not Series B. So you, know, you don't have to have it um, uh, totally worked out at this point. There's still a lot to figure out. There's going to be ups and downs. But we need to see that there's pull. There's, there's demand for what this is. And that it's not so confusing or complicated to uh, whoever you're, you're selling to, or you know, in, in B2B case, or, or consumers, that, uh, that they're not doing what they should be doing. That it's happening under a reasonable time frame. And um, the signal is that this is uh, capable of achieving explosive growth. Okay, what are the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make when they're doing these, within yeah. these conversations? Um, boy, there's a lot of them. Uh, you know, bringing too many people, uh, just reading your slides, having way too many slides, uh, not answering questions directly. Um, any type of situation where um, we feel you're not being intellectually honest with us. You know, if you're in, in uh, too much of a salesy mode, um, if you're answering questions that you're clearly just kind of BSing us and you don't really know the answer, instead of saying, I don't really know, let me find out. Um, acting like your competitors are dumb and slow and lazy, instead of uh, acting like, look, let's assume they're going to be smart and fast and here's how I'm going to beat them anyways. Mm -hmm. um, not articulating yourself well. Uh, not... Um, not having shown that you can get other people to want to join the company. Um, there's a whole bunch of them. And a lot of it comes down to an interpersonal dynamic, to be honest. Just do we, do we love your style? Your, your style of thinking about the business and, and, uh, and talking about it and brainstorming and being challenged and, and uh, seeing the whole chessboard. And just, you know, we want, to, we want to walk out of there feeling like that was a really engaging, intriguing conversation. And at 10 o'clock that night, I want to still be thinking about your business. Okay. You mentioned specifically also like, you know, oh, well, in a series A, it's different from a series B. So maybe if you could do like a bit of a compare and contrast, sure. like so that people get a, an idea of like, what really are the distinctive features of yeah. the evolution? So series A is more about the, the, um, the theory of what your business can become. <laughs> it's not purely concept. You've done something, you've built product, you've started to get initial customers. Um, you know, you started to recruit a little bit. You have theories of how this whole thing is going to evolve. Um, there's still a lot to figure out. Series B is more about fuel. It's more about, um, you know, I don't have the full machine built, but I have a lot of it built. And now I need to pour more fuel on it to really start growing and scaling up. Uh, and then the future rounds are entirely about scale. Okay, great. Um, in terms of uh, what you believe, like you mentioned about what makes a great entrepreneur, right? The ability to motivate people, having that, you, you talked about the, having the DNA for both product and sales and marketing, like that kind of a person. When you look through all the deals that you've done and you think of like the patterns, other patterns that the company showed, uh, in addition to like a great founder, that just had much better hit rates. What would you say that some of those common traits have been? That's a great question. Um, so I think there's a, um, first you, you see the drive. You see just the, the passion of wanting to solve this thing, wanting to build this business. 
uh, and it's it's contagious. You know, you you can see that they're going to be able to recruit well. People are going to want to work with this person. You know, future investors are going to want to back this person. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, they have a feel for um, how they're going to build their product and why it's special, and how they can do it in a way that's um, that's going to be really hard to copy. Uh, and um, they have a scrappiness to them. You know, startups are hard. I mean, for those of us that that spent a, uh, many years doing startups. It's hard. There's all kinds of things that, that go wrong along the way or things you got to figure out along the way or, or on the positive side, opportunities you couldn't have anticipated at the beginning that you have to seize along the way. And, you know, did they have the, the, the energy, the, um, you know, just the ability to, to thrive in that kind of crazy, intense world? So we look for that. Um, and just are they, are they likable and trustworthy and... Um, it's something we're going to be proud of. Okay, great. Um, if you were to think about also like on the other other uh, side of the coin, so what do you believe makes a highly successful venture capital investor? Yeah. Um, and also, you know, as it relates lots to the entrepreneur. Lots and lots of luck. <laughs> <laughs> and how do you get lucky? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, look, how do you get lucky is the right question, right? Because at the end of the day, this is an outlier business. And it's the ones that uh, truly take off that drive most of the returns. And so you, you get lucky by, uh, by placing your bets on, on uh, entrepreneurs that can um, do the impossible, right? And, uh, and the way to do that is um, make sure that the criteria that, you, that we've talked about um, earlier here um, is met and, 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 uh, and that, you know, these people are building... Um, businesses that have this amazing potential in these big markets and, and can do all these things, can recruit and raise money and aren't going to run into common obstacles that could just be company killers. Um, and that they're swinging a the bat hard enough. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we're looking for, for home runs here, right? We're looking um, for um, people that change industries and just disrupt the, the way things are, are happening now. Um, and, uh, you know, I think where we've gone wrong in the past is we, for whatever reason, um, uh, invested uh, sometimes without hitting all of those criteria, where, where there was, a, you know, we weren't sure about the market size, and it turned out that, that the instinct was right, and the market size wasn't big enough. Or, um, uh, you know, they were building a great revenue stream, but real, no, no real strategic value on top of that, so they were never going to be uh, valued super high. And we, you know, really, this is a business where, uh, after a decade of doing it, you learn um, very clearly how bad you were at, at this at the beginning of your career. I mean, it takes a long time to really see the patterns, right? To really see what makes a great entrepreneur, what see, see what, um, what businesses are truly unique and can get really big. And, um, you know, and then the luck factor does come in in that when, when people are, are building these companies, you know, the difference between recruiting that awesome VP of engineering or getting someone who ended up being a dud is night and day, right? That could be the difference between a, a really scalable business and not, right? Getting that first big client. Um, you know, we, we, um, we have a great company we invested in called Masterclass where they get uh, the, the top expert in the world, typically celebrities, but the top expert in the world at their thing to teach their thing in, in a five hour long online streaming class. Um, so think um, uh, Annie Leibovitz teaching photography. Um, 
uh, Kevin Spacey teaching acting, those types of things. It's, it's an amazing group of A-plus people. And, uh, and the first one they got was Dustin Hoffman. And had they not gotten Dustin, they wouldn't have gotten James Patterson teaching mystery writing, which wouldn't have led to Christina Aguilera teaching voice and, and uh, Aaron Sorkin teaching screenwriting. And one thing led to another, and now um, it's an amazing group, and, uh, and they all want to be a part of it because it's, it's such an amazing educational thing they've created. Uh, and, you know, that, that company had worked out really well. The flywheel got moving in the right way, but it could have gone the other way too. So there is a luck factor here. Um, now, uh, you know, to the entrepreneur's credit, and he's an amazing entrepreneur, um, he made that happen. Right? He, he put himself in a position to get that flywheel moving and he closed the deal and, and, and did such a good job on the first one that the second and third and fourth ones happened. And that's, you know, that's what we look for, that special thing in an entrepreneur that can get that business off the ground where others could have never done it. All right. And what would you say uh, makes Javelin, your firm, uh, a great one for an entrepreneur to partner with? I think we're all former operators, so we have a lot of empathy for what entrepreneurs go through. And we, we approach it as a true partnership from the beginning uh, with a uh, constant brainstorming style of relationship. Right? So it could be lots of short emails and phone calls uh, you know, at 10 o'clock at night or whatever it is, but it's, it's, you know, we're happy to be the one that you call all the time to bounce stuff off of. And we love building companies. And we understand things are not always going to go well, but we're still going to be supportive. And we're going to be um, direct and honest, but in a very like friendly partner style way of, hey, let's figure this out and build this thing. And this one thing is not working, but I'm not going to tell you it is working. I'm going to tell you it's not working, but let's figure out how to make it work. Um, some, some investors are, they take a different approach where they're, they're either um, too, too harsh or have un, unrealistic expectations um, or they... Um, end up being a, a distraction. You know, maybe they don't have enough information because they're not up, up to speed enough on the company or whatever it is. Um, they end up being a, uh, creating a difficult um, dynamic, a difficult relationship with the entrepreneur. We really try and be the opposite. We really try and be the, the, um, the investor that the, entre that the uh, entrepreneur wants to call first. Yeah, that's great. Um, you said it's been now 10 years that you've been investing. Um, what has changed the most during that time? And when you look ahead another 10 years from now and the trends that are around entrepreneurship, the tech space, yeah. uh, investors and their appetites, what, what do you think are the key themes? Like what have they been and wh where do you think it's going? Um, that's an interesting question. There's, there's, uh, there's a bunch of them. There's, there's much more seed capital than there ever was by a lot. So raising that first, you know, 250 grand to a million to just get your business off the ground is a lot easier than it used to be. There's access to a network of angel investors. There's lots of incubators and accelerators. There's a whole ecosystem now to get your business going and to get product advice and your initial uh, recruits and engineering help and um, even free stuff, <laughs> you know, free office space and free servers and whatever. Um, so it's easier to get a company off the ground. With that said, there's still a limit to the Series A capital. So you still have to become really impressive and break through the noise to be able to raise the Series A. Um, I think in, uh, investors have uh, 
found many more ways to be helpful and to help the entrepreneurs um, recruit people and uh, solve their product needs and, and uh, uh, get their initial biz dev relationships going. Um, there's a tremendous amount more software to make your business run more efficiently. More, uh, so it, it, it takes less capital to go a lot further. You can, and you can also just um, get things done uh, at, a, at a much quicker pace. <clears throat> there's, more, um, there's a lot more ways to get PR and uh, get noticed in the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, um, you know, every, everyone has a smartphone in their pocket now. And I think the whole mobile dynamic has changed everything. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's all sorts of new industries that are evolving at a, at a faster clip, it seems like, than, than a decade ago. Um, things that are, are, you know, becoming uh, uh, massive sectors that didn't exist a few years ago. You know, cryptocurrencies, you know, there's all sorts of things. Um, but it's a great time to start a business. It's, there, there's capital, there's help, there's, uh, you know, established ecosystems in, in more than just the valley. You know, New York, LA, there's just, there's great places to start companies where you can get funding, you can recruit, you can, uh, you can get engineering and product help, and you can get these things off the ground. Based on uh, where things are going, do you think there will be any fundamental changes on how fundraising and the whole capital process goes uh, for startups in the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think the industry is always evolving. Um, you've seen some dramatic changes in, in the last uh, five years in terms of access to, to seed capital and um, even regulatory changes where, where um, you know, the, uh, um, anybody uh, with some capital, uh, any accredited investor with some capital can, can find a way into the startups, um, even not only in their initial round, even in, in later rounds. And um, so that helps a lot. Um, you know, I still think that there's a, a really important place for institutional investors um, because not only do they, they write bigger checks, but there's a whole, I referred to the cadence before, that they help you get into of, um, of, of growing your business and getting to a good place where you can raise those future rounds. They have wide networks of, um, of other investors and, and biz dev relationships that can help you down the road. They've seen a lot of things. They've seen how M&A transactions work. They've seen how to run a stock option plan, uh, how to deal with a lawsuit. You know, it's, it's um, fundamentally important advice that they constantly give you because they've been through so much that you're going to need along the way. And, uh, and they're involved uh, to a degree that an angel investor will never be involved. So there's, there's always going to be a very important place for institutional investors. And I just think um, uh, entrepreneurs need to choose wisely when they're going on fundraising. Okay. And... Um Based on uh, everything that the Ivy community does, uh, what do you believe are some of the ways in which our members can best support your endeavors at Javelin and beyond? Well, come up with amazing ideas and come talk to us. You know, we, um, I started my first company when I was 22. And uh, our single biggest company we have in a portfolio right now, they started in their early 20s. And... Um, you know, get great people around you and, uh, and, and think it through and, um, you know, be swinging hard for that, for that uh, big outcome. And 
uh, prepare yourself and come, then come talk to us. Get advice along the way. Get great mentorship along the way. Um, you know, the other thing you can do is look through the portfolio and there might be some companies that jump out at you that you just um, connect with. And, uh, you know, you have a, the same passion for, for uh, solving that pain point that the entrepreneur has. And maybe there are ways you can help and get involved. The more you, you are involved in the startup world uh, and are at a startup wearing a bunch of hats, the better you're going to be probably at running your own startup. Okay, this is great. Um, for somebody who is an entrepreneur and you've seen this journey firsthand and you've witnessed also thousands if not hundreds of other people doing it, if you were to kind of leave us with one final piece of advice uh, for an entrepreneur, what would that be? I think it's, um, uh, you know, fo follow your, your passion. I mean, startups take an enormous amount of energy and are, are, are really hard to do. And you have to be all in, right? You have to be really driven to solve this problem, to get other people to join you to solve this problem, to work the hours, to uh, convince investors to come in, to deal with all of the adversity along the way and to fight your way through to a big outcome. So you gotta follow your passion. Thank you so much. This was a fascinating conversation. Excited to do a lot more things together and uh, looking forward to the next time. This is great. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.